Murders, mysteries, unexplained stories, and our family's crazy opinions on them all. Join us now. The Family School of Thought is in session. Welcome everybody to this this week's of the Family School of Thought. <laughs> <laughs> we are off and Hello. running. <laughs> okay, um, let's get started. Jess, you got a fun fact for us? I do. I have um, mental floss, amazing fact of the day. Cassie, you'll like this one. Good. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but Oregonians, is that Oregonians? the correct way to pronounce? Oregonians. Oregonians are the, they're the fastest talking people in America. Oh. So that... there you go. The Gilmore Girls should have been from Oregon. Um, I don't know if I would say that's true. I think I'm I'm pretty much well, the fastest the talker I know out here. <laughs> I'm the fastest talker I know out here, and uh, not from Oregon. Well, okay, so then, if that's not true, take it up with mental floss. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Going with them. All right. All right. Well, Cass, hopefully we can keep up with you on this one, but um, what's our song of the week? Okay. So this one's a little bit special to me, at least. Um, because it's one of my favorite bands, um, and they just released their first single in like ten years uh, this last week. So I was really excited. So it's my Chemical Romance. Yeah, it is. my Chemical Romance. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's the song. Let me see if I can get it. All right. Can't say that I know that All one. right. Yeah. Um, it's my favorite. Um, so this is actually My Chemical Romance's first song. It's called Skylines and Turnstiles. Um, and it was written because Gerard Way, the frontman, had just basically been fired from his first band. Um, and he gave up on music, started, basically got himself a job, like a normal job doing, uh, I think he was actually like uh like he does a lot of stuff with like um comic books so i think it was something to do with like action figures like he was like either painting action figures or putting action figures together um and he was from new jersey basically worked in new york and one morning as he was riding in on his way to work the towers collapsed and on september 11th 2001 mm -hmm. and he basically watched the towers fall and it was this big cathartic moment of the world could end at any moment. The world is ending, you know? Uh, and so he said, you know, you know, screw it. I'm going to write this song um, and I'm going to start a band. And he did. And it is a huge band now. And they're going back on tour. Yeah, it is. And that's how his band Yay! started. Yay! I didn't know that. Yeah, he, that's... And no clue. No, 2000. Yeah, he um, literally, as soon as he, he saw the, the towers fall, he basically went to his brother, who's also in the band, and was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do it because who knows what could happen tomorrow. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of a positive spin on things. Right. Well, right. It, yeah. is, well it, is, it is September 11th, so it's not totally yeah. happy, but. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. A happy ending, I guess. 
happy yes. ending. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. All right. Good to know. Jess, yeah. you want to yeah. get us going on something today? Yeah. So I have another story involving young school kids. <laughs> so going off of Cassie's last week one. So yay for that one. <laughs> Mom, dad, you guys may remember this one because it was like worldwide news at the time. Um, in Chochella, California, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing the, the city right or not. Um, the Chochella school bus kidnapping. You I guys know. remember that? Yes, I, I know. So, yeah. From 1976. Yes. So you guys may know some of this, but I'm going to kind of, for our listeners, I'm going to kind of, not going to give away too many spoilers too much right now. So in, on July 15th, 1976, 26 school children and their bus driver from Chochella, California were kidnapped and buried alive. Um, and they, so the, they were on the bus. This happened at like four o'clock in the afternoon they were on the bus on the way home from a like summer school like field trip summer school field trip <laughs> um from the, you know like they went on to like the pool and so they were on their way home and um their the bus driver um stopped the bus because there was a van blocking the road when he stopped the bus Three men in the mask um, got onto the bus with guns, held the bus driver at gunpoint, and then um, kind of hijacked the van or hijacked the bus rather, and drove the bus um, to like a nearby like riverbed where there was another van. Um, the the van that was blocking the road followed them, so there was two vans, and they by at gunpoint loaded all the kids, unloaded them from the bus onto into these two vans um and they did it one by one um and like did it so that no footprints were left so the kids were transferred basically from the the bus to a van um the there were uh, 26 kids ages 5 to 14 so young young kids um and then their bus driver the bus driver's name was Frank um Ed Ray so he went by Ed mostly um but yeah so they were loaded from the bus to the van and then they drove the hijackers the kidnappers drove the kids in these vans in the, the two vans 12 hours away to this rock quarry um which is like 100 miles away to livermore california so they got kidnapped immediately drove 100 miles away um, from there. Um, there was in these vans, they were like makeshift jail cells. So the, the kidnappers had put up wood paneling and they painted all the windows. So there was no air ventilation and there's no food, no water, no toilets. So could you imagine driving 12 hours being stuffed into a van with no food, ventilation, anything there? Um, no toilets. And with all these little kids in a scary situation. Um, and so th they were, they had that whole trip 
one of the survivors, um, her name is Jennifer Brown Hyde. She was nine years old at the time. Um, she's quoted as saying, I felt like I was an animal going to the slaughterhouse. So that's kind of like the situation that they were in, in that kind of, you know, being in this van with, you know, like a makeshift jail cell with other, you know, like there's 26 kids. So 13 kids in each van, it's pretty crammed full too. So once they got to the Rock Quarry and Livermore, one by one, the kidnappers had the bus driver and the, the 26 kids um, exit the vans and then go into down this hole in the ground um, where there was like this old truck trailer that they were going into and it was buried 12 feet underground. So these kids were in this truck and then um, once everybody was in there, the kidnappers buried the rest of the truck. So these all the people that were kidnapped were buried alive. Um, they were nice enough that they put food and water and there were like working-ish porter potty type toilets, you know, um, there was ventilation. So they had some fresh air and um, they had mattresses and clothes or um, not clothes, bedding to sleep on. And they had, you know, some essentials that could help them. Um, but they were in that um, truck for 12 hours, underground for 12 hours in that trailer. Um, and then the roof began caving in. So the truck's trailer, the or the truck trailer um, that they were in um, started caving in. Um, and so Jennifer Brown, again, she was, uh, Jennifer Brown Hyde was quoted, saying we thought if so um they started trying to get themselves out of this situation because they were there for 12 hours so the bus driver ed ray and the oldest of all the kids a 14 year old michael marshall took turns pushing up on this heavy manhole um like metal sheet it wasn't really a manhole cover but like a metal sheet um that was blocking the opening to that truck um where they went into the hole that they went into um it was and that metal sheet was covered with like 100 about 100 pounds of like industrial batteries so it was put there they put um heavy batteries on there and then buried it they, like they were trying so that these kids would not be able to get out um so they were trying to they spent hours trying to get that open once they got it open then michael began digging to get unburied from there and dug up to the ground level or, you know, dug up. Um, and so it took about four hours, but he was able to dig a hole for everybody to get out and they were able to escape. Um, so everybody survived. So there's a happy ending. So all the 26 kids and the bus driver were able to get out. Um, but when they got out, they started walking around and remember it was 12 hour drive there, 12 hour drive, um, or sorry, 12 hour drive to this new location. And then they were in there for 12 hours. And then it took about four hours for the kid to like start digging up. So it was like 24 hours later. So like the next day, they walk out of this hole and start walking around this rock quarry. To, and then there, this was a working location. So the workers were shocked to find all these kids wondering where they came from. 
and um, they were stunned. And so police were called, you know, everything was, you, they, they came, they started looking at the kids, you know, investigating what was going on. Um, all the kids were taken and then the bus driver were taken to Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center. So could you imagine being kidnapped, buried alive into this like trailer, um, truck trailer kind of thing. And then now you're taken to a jail for a shelter. Like, could you imagine that? Right. Um, but they took them there because it was the closest place that would be able to fit all of the kids in one location. They wanted to keep everybody together. Um, and once they were there, they were given food and blankets, you know, new clothes. And um, and they were interviewed by the police and they were examined, you know, by medical people um, to like see what was going on. And then it was like hours later, they were put onto another bus and shipped back home. So all of this happened in less than 48 hours. So it was a real quick, like they got kidnapped, they got buried alive, they escaped, and then they were sent home to their families all within like less than 48 hours, really. So it was, you know, but I'm sure felt like weeks or years to these to these little kids so um several of the uh, the kids they were you know between 5 and 14 at the time several of them have kind of come forth um and they've done stories they've kind of talked about their experience um but one of them um it was a six-year-old his name is larry park he wrote a book and you know what, I didn't write down what the name of the book is, so I can look that up, but he wrote a book about his experience. And then one of the quotes from his book, it talked about being taken from the bus into the van, um, into one of the vans. And it's he's in his book, it's quoted as saying, blackness, never before, never since have I known such complete and utter darkness. And then later on, he he's quoted it like in his book it's quoted as saying i could almost taste the smell of urine in the van so again no toilets they're in there for 12 hours but could you imagine being five years old and being kidnapped and i'm sure all these kids are are peeing their pants out of terror and then peeing their pants because they can't hold it anymore you know these poor kids so um i'm gonna look up his book because um i ended up buying it on my amazon account but and what um, is the reason for the kidnapping so i'm gonna get to that <laughs> i'm gonna get to that so um let me look up larry's um book let me um it's um oh the chochilla kidnapping why me that's the name of his book <laughs> Um, so it just kind of goes into his experience. But like I said, many of them have kind of done news news articles. They've talked about their experience. I'm sure other of the survivors have wrote books or, you know, done other things. But his, I just thought was, those were kind of good book quotes um, from that. So it's kind of given that experience for that. Um, so the investigators after they found these kids they kind of were like okay what happened they they interviewed these kids what they knew they all said you know they they were three men they were masked they were held at gunpoint um all that kind of stuff so investigators began digging up this truck trailer and it was a full truck like a semi truck with the the trailer attached to it buried underground and so they dug it up 
hoping to find clues on who the kidnappers were. Um, it took about two weeks later. The the kidnappers um, had fled to uh, Vancouver, I believe. They fled up to Canada. Um, but two weeks later, they found and arrested all three of the kidnappers. Um, it was a 24-year-old, Frederick uh, Newell Woods, who was the son of the owner of the rock quarry where the kids were buried alive. Um, his partner um, in a used car business, his uh, business partner, 24-year-old James Schoenfeld, and then James's younger brother, 22-year-old Richard Schoenfeld, um, were the three kidnappers. Um, all three of them came from very wealthy families in the San Francisco subdivision or suburbs area. Um, and so it's kind of people were questioning, you came from a wealthy family. Why would you do this? But um, they were able to be identified because security guards at the Rock Quarry witnessed seeing these three digging this huge hole to put the truck in a month, like months before the kidnapping actually occurred. So that's kind of how they got caught. With that, um, once they identified them as the suspects for this, a warrant was given out to search um, Fred Woods's father's estate to see if they could find more evidence or find more information on what really happened or why. Um, but they were they hit the mother load basically once they um, went and searched the estate. They found basically every evidence that they really needed to find. Um, there was Drafts of the ransom note. Um, one of the drafts stated that the kidnap the kidnappers wanted two point five million dollars um, for ransom, although they had planned to. In some of their notes, they had planned to ask for five million once things kind of started negotiating, um, which equates to in two thousand twenty one. It equates to um, equated to twenty three point eight million dollars. So. Back in 1973, or I'm sorry, 1976 rather, they were asking for like 22.5 or $5 million um, for ransom of these 26 kids and the bus driver. Um, they also found a list of every single student's name and their age, as well as the bus driver's um, name as well. So there was clear evidence that these three were the prime suspects. They were the ones that were guilty on this. Um, it was well, how did they know these kids? How did these kids know how they, they were going to be in that route? How did they know? I mean, that's a, I don't you know like yes. Yeah. So they did some you know research to see you know they just kind of followed bus routes and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so they 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 so James uh, Schoenfeld stated um, that. They did it because he, he was partners with Fred Woods. They were in serious debt at the time. So they came from wealthy families, but they were both in big, big debt, and they needed millions of dollars to help them get out of it. They chose to do to um, to hijack a bus. They picked children, and it, it's his quote is, we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them, and they don't fight back. They're vulnerable and they mind. So they chose children because they knew that would be the easiest way to get their money because people would be willing to do whatever it took to get those kids back. So that was their kind of reasoning behind it because they needed money. 
Um, so they, they thought they had it all planned out. They had, the police were able to find all their plans and what they had planned on doing. However, the ironic part of it is they, once they kidnapped the kids, they got them buried into the truck trailer. They went back to their house. They tried to call the Chochilla police department to say, Hey, we have these kids. This is our ransom demand. But because 26 kids were missing and the bus was missing and the bus driver was missing, the police and the media went into a frenzy and the phone lines were jammed because everybody was calling the police, trying to figure out what's going on. So ironically, they They screwed themselves over (laughs) because they couldn't get through. So when they couldn't get through, this is, it kind of shows how unintelligent these people may have been, but they couldn't get through. So they decided, well, we'll just go to sleep. So they went to sleep. And then the next day they woke up to news reports of these kids escaping and being found by the police. <laughs> so that's when they fled to Canada. They, they decided, okay, we're going to get out of here. We don't want to be caught. So they fled. Um, so that's, it, it kind of, in a roundabout way, you just screwed yourself almost. So the three kidnappers all pled guilty for kidnapping. They, they were That's all sentenced. No, it wasn't. No. Um, but they, they, they were all sentenced to life in prison with a possibility of parole. Um, so this happened in 1976, July of 1976. Richard... Uh, Sconefeld was released in June of 2012. James Sconefeld was released in 2015. And then Fred Wood, who was the son of the Rock Quarry um, owner, who it seems to be was like the lead kidnapper. He was the one in charge of all of this. He was last denied parole in 2019. However, in March, on March 29th of this year, 2022, it was recommended for him to be released on parole. And it was approved on April 1st. So all three of the kidnappers have since been released from prison for this kidnapping. Um, so they were supposed to be sent or serve life in prison for this, but they've all now been released. They were 24, 22, 24 at the time. Now they're you know, in their 70s, right? I would think um, 70s, 80s. Can't do the math in my head right now. But so, yeah, so they're they're all out. Um, the kids, again, were all 5 to 14 years old in 1976. So they're all in their 50s, 60s. They're, so everybody's still alive. Well, I don't know if everybody is still alive, but they're at the age of still being able to be alive. Um, and several of the kids suffered from panic attacks, nightmares, and personality changes after this, um, along with PTSD. Um, some of the, the students on the bus, they dealt with symptoms of like those symptoms and issues for like up to 25 years after the accident or after this kidnapping. Right. So they dealt with it for most of their life. They've dealt with these issues that have they, that came about because of this kidnapping. 
Um, and um, the author that I talked about, Larry Park, he is actually, he was six years old at the time of the kidnapping. He got into drugs, um, including meth, meth and marijuana and drinking and um, kind of was on the wrong path. He was able to find God, became a, a you know, like a, a Christian, a born again Christian kind of a situation and was able to, you know, be able to come to, um, you know, kind, kind of come to an understanding, I guess. And he, he has come forth and said that um, the kidnapper should, he was one of the ones that had stated that they should be released on parole. They should be released from prison. He has since forgiven them for what they they did and doesn't feel like they should um, have to deal with the consequences for the rest of their life on that. I guess in a sense, I mean, everybody survived, but it, if it wasn't for the bus driver and the kids basically stating, you know, like, we're not going to stay here and just wait right. to die. We're going to, we're going to do something about it. Who knows how long that they would have been down there. And um, if they would have survived in that, that kind of a sense either. So it's kind of a weird situation, but a, good ending um with that but i do know too there were there's been movies made from this um um, there was 1993 i um vanish vanish without a trace i think is what it's called so there's that um that movie um that came about this and i believe there's some new documentaries that are kind of coming about as well um there's a, a bunch of new news articles that um have kind of re reevaluated this or re-looked at this case, this situation because of the um, kidnappers being on parole and um, being released from prison for that. So um, especially the last one was just released uh, like a month and a half ago. So it's kind of crazy to, to think about that um, and that kind of a situation. But um, I, I, I guess for, um, seen something on this too a while ago it's been probably years but um yeah the, um, bus driver was a young right yeah. like yeah. he was 20 yeah. or something like that and he was really um um was a hero in that situation because yeah. he kept the kids occupied and kept them yeah. freaking yeah. out and really had a sense of organization to keep them you know everything going yeah. And that's, um, yeah. So he, I don't know how old he was at the time. So he was born in, on February 26, 1921. So he wasn't young. Oh. So he would have been in his 50s. 40s. 50s. Okay. Yeah. So about 55, 56. Um, so. Um, well, yeah, maybe so there was the oldest, how old was the oldest kid? 14. Okay. Maybe that's. Then, so, wow. yeah. So he was 14. So. But the bus driver, um, he received uh, a California School Employees Association citation for outstanding community service after this happened. Um, he re- he received that basically for, you know, helping these kids, keep them calm and get through this situation um, and saving all these kids. But, yeah, um, Michael, what did I say his name was? Um Mm-hmm. 
Michael Marshall, he was 14. So he was the oldest boy. I don't know if he was the oldest kid on, right. in there, but he was the oldest boy that he's the one that kind of, he helped the bus driver to get um, everything and get the kids out. So he was deemed a hero as well. Um, but the bus driver died in 2012. Um, but before that, he had stayed in touch with many of the kids that were on the bus um, and, you know, kind of, you know, talked to them throughout their lives and that. So, um, and then in 2015, the Sports and Leisure Park in uh, Chochilla was renamed the Edward Ray Park. Um, and then on every February 26th, which was his birthday, um, it's, it's declared the Edward Ray Day. So he's become this like city hero, basically, yeah. which rightfully so in that, in that kind of a situation. So, right. um, but yeah, so the, the kids, though, they've, they've all had their dark stages, I guess you can call it. Um, many of them, they dealt with fear of cars or fears of the dark, the wind. Um, some of them had fear of kitchen and, and mice, um, dogs. And then um, there's a, at least a couple that had fear of hippies, which I thought was kind of kind of funny, but also, as, you know, it kind of makes you wonder on the three kidnappers, were they kind of hippie-ish kids in that sense too? Um, but a lot of the kids struggled and got into trouble. Um, one even shot a Japanese tourist with a BB gun when the tourist car broke down in front of their house. So it, they just kind of lashed out this fear of uh, that flight or flight type of a situation right. um, kind like of thing with that. So with like with the hippie thing, it sounds like because that's like it was common to hitchhike and like in that right. like hippies right. hitchhiked a lot. So it was probably that like idea yeah. of the people you see on the side of the road who are asking for help are hippies. And so, that, and the same right. thing with that Japanese tour, uh, tourist, like that's how they, these kidnappers got this van. And so it probably came, became a fear of, you know, right. you can't trust anybody who's asking for help kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I have some pictures that I, I wanted to show. So let me see if I can, um, share my screen um did you watch any of the footage of the uh like the media interviewing the townspeople when the kids were missing um no i didn't watch any of that because no. i remember and this is years ago so i don't really remember to the detail but again kind of like we've talked about it in a couple other cases there the go. media yeah. was there in the town interviewing the parents and the parents all seemed kind of like you know, yeah. yeah, we don't know where the children are at. And, you know, if somebody knows anything, can you just let us know? And it was like, yeah, <laughs> it seemed odd. That's it. You know? Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of them, they just didn't, they didn't really know. They thought, you know, like the kids were kind of running late or whatever, but right. can right. you guys see my, I shared my screen. Yeah. Can yeah. you guys see that? So this is yeah. what it looked like inside um, where they were buried in the ground. Um, mm -hmm or underground. So this is what they, and they stacked up the mattresses to kind of be able to get out of that, that hole, um, to be able to get out of the, well, the, I can't believe that company allowed these kids to bring the semi truck in there and bury it. 
I mean, what kind of a company is that that well, would it's allow? A quarry. It's a quarry. Um, so dig, that's what they do is dig. Yeah. It's a quarry. You know, they're Real digging quarry. up rocks and you know, yeah. that's what the right. company does is dig. Right. Um, and they're, and they yeah, put, so they're, they're, it, they probably put support, like a lot of supports in the ground because if you're digging, you're going to create a, a hole and you can't just cover it back up or you'll have a sinkhole. So they probably bury a lot of things in that quarry. Uh, right. And so they probably just thought it was a random semi truck. Am I still sharing my screen? Yeah, but you're yes. logged out. Okay. We're, so, we're um, Okay, there we go. I don't know. There we go. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a you know, quick thing. I know, so in 2016, so to me, there's obviously not a huge, super happy ending with it, but there has, you know, the kidnappers were found, they were arrested, they served several years in prison, um, but um, in 2016, 25 of the surviving kidnapped children um, did settle a lawsuit um, that was, that had been filed against their kidnappers. So, it's not released on how much each of them received, but they did disclose that the survivors each, they kind of stated that it was enough to pay for serious therapy for them, um, but it wasn't enough to buy a house. So they probably all got, you know, like $50,000 from this, which is kind of horrible in that aspect. So, Well, and especially um, in California, but, it's probably upwards of like 200000 Yeah, right. Cause yeah. Houses so are expensive. I yeah. Don't know so yeah. I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I it, they all needed some kind of therapy. They needed to be able to, um, you know, to do that. But um, there are so there's a two-hour made-for-TV movie that um, oh that's what they've taken our children. Oh, that's a different one. They've taken our children. The Coachella kidnapping. Um, like I said, the vanishing. Um, there's another one, Vanishing in the Dark, um, which is, it's a movie based on these events, so it's not kind of exactly right. Um, it's more fiction. It's like a fiction, true story fiction type of thing. Dramatized. Um, dra yeah, dramatized. But then um, there is episode seven of season two of the program House of Horrors, Kidnapped. Um, goes into detail of this event. Um, that's on Investigation Discovery, which is a cable network. Um, and the episode—it's the episode is called "Buried Alive," um, which aired in 2015. Um, and that episode is actually told from the point of view of Michael Marshall, who was the 14-year-old that helped get all the kids out of the um, the trailer. So, and there's been, there in 2019, 48 Hours did an investigative story on this and kind of went into details of everything. They interviewed a lot of their survivors. Um, so there's a lot of stuff there. It's pretty interesting, kind of a happy story or happy ending to the story um, kind of situation. So, yeah, have but that was. Nippers, you know, have they kind of given their story, you know, like, you know, were they high and just thought it would be something to do, or were they seriously needing money, or you know, what was yeah, their the, reasoning? The only thing, yeah, the only thing that I could find was that they were in debt and they just needed the money. 
So I didn't really find anything more than that. So I think it was supposed to be, you know, like it was a serious situation. They were, I don't think they had planned to harm the kids in any way, but I, I it sounds like they were doing whatever they could in the, the with like the least amount of destruction almost um, to get the money the quickest and the easiest. Okay. So especially back in the seventies too, like you have a bunch of kids can even in today's society, you have a bunch of kids that are kidnapped. The city is going to do whatever it takes to get those kids back. And um, I'm sure they would have negotiated a ransom settlement to, you know, pay that to get the kids out. So well, and I'm sure in 1976, they didn't have a whole lot of knowledge how to take care of something like this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it sounds like they did, you know, look in most of these true crime stories, it's the police didn't do their job correctly. They didn't do, you know, like things got left, you know, evidence got misplaced or didn't, wasn't taken care of. And that's why the killers or the, you know, the, the guilty party was never found or never, you know, it took forever for them to find. Um, in this case, it sounds like, well, we had some dumb people that didn't, well, I guess you could say rich, wealthy people that didn't think that they would ever get caught and, uh, or right. even be suspected. And uh, they just were not very smart about it. And you had police that took it seriously too. So. Right. Right. Um, wow. That's, that's basically all I have on this though. Craziness. People are crazy. Never cease to amaze. Yeah. How crazy people today. And I, I always think this like, how do they think they were going to get away with this? <laughs> how did you think this was going to end for you? Well, really, I mean, if the kids hadn't escaped, it, it probably would have either worked out in their favor or they would have never been caught. Because if the kids never escaped, well, who knows what would have happened to them? But on, on his father's quarry, I mean, at some point, they're going to stumble across this. The FBI would have given them the money, but the ransom would have, you know, they would have caught in the people when they went to collect the ransom. Maybe. So they would have gotten caught no matter what, because they're not just going to hand over $5 million, but they're going to want the safety of the kids back. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I just, and for them to be out, they should never have been released. They should have had to stay in prison for their life. For the torment that they put those kids through. Like you say, all, every last one of them didn't get to live a normal life because of them. Right. Right. So why should they get to live a freestyle life? Well, I'm sure they're not, you know, living the life. They got out of jail in their 70s. And, well, hopefully they were tortured in jail. <laughs> well, that's a, I, a, well, I'm sure that they did in some sense, but sure also was like. Tortured on themselves having to live with what they did. 
Right. And then on top of it, I'm sure, you know, like what dad was just saying too, that, um, you know, they get out of the jail when they're in their seventies. So, you know, like, what are they supposed to do? It's not like they're going to have, I mean, I guess they could have family money, but they're not going to have jobs. They're not going to have anything to kind of help them have a good life. So who knows? Yeah. Crazy. But I kind of wondered if you guys remembered that story at all. I don't remember it happening. It must have been in 18 with that story. You said they covered this in 2018 and 2020. I've heard the story before and I, you know, seen some kind of show on it anyhow. Yeah. I remember, I do remember them like the, you know, the national news showed up at this town and was interviewing, you know, the parents and stuff. And right. at that point, the kids were just missing. They didn't know where they were at. You know, they didn't know why or anything. And they're kind right. of nonchalant about it. You know, they were like, well, no, you know, we're waiting for them to come home. And they weren't sure if the kids just took off or, you know, what was going on. Right. And I suppose back then too, you know, you didn't hear a thousand other stories like this. You know what I mean? It right. Was... right, right. And that's what I think that was something too that the parents just thought that the bus driver got lost on the way home or, right. you know, who, who would have thought traffic. this would happen, you know? yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah, so definitely, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting story. I thought it was kind of a... How did you especially... come across that story? Um, I think I came across of it on TikTok. It was one of those things. Um, and it was in the recent months. So I want to say it must have been, you know, in March, you know, maybe when they, when the, um, friend, when uh, Fred Wood was um, released, they, when they were looking, to, well, he wasn't released yet, but it was recommended to be released. Mm. So I think maybe it was around that time. Um, it wasn't too long ago, so that might be why it was on there, but um, I think that's how I came across it. I can't really remember um, how it kind of all started, but I, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of a crazy story, and it really wasn't that long ago, you know, so right. like it was 40 years ago, 40 year-ish, 45 years ago. Um Okay, 44 years ago, right? So, yeah, so, I mean, you know, for um, Larry Park, who was six years old, this was 44 years ago, he's only 50 years old. So, you know, these, the kids that were on the bus are, you know, they're young adults, we'll say. You know, they're like they're they're middle aged, you know, um, people at this point, and well, they they have families of their own, and you know, some of them like the Jennifer. I forget her last name now. Jennifer. Um, get back in my notes. Jennifer Brown Hyde. I know she is married and has kids, and you know, but could you imagine that? And then Lily Park has, is married with kids and stuff too. But going through this yourself i'm sure that they have anxiety of their kids riding school buses you know going to camp or something or right yeah going on field trips and i mean i couldn't imagine that kind of anxiety 
um, with that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I think with anybody that's been in a kidnapping scenario or some kind of abuse scenario, if you have your own kids, that's one of your biggest fears, I'm sure. You don't want it to happen to them. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I found it, 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 I found it to be an interesting story and not really too much of a mystery, but, you know, true crime kind of a situation and relevant because it's, uh, you know, the last kidnapper was just released a month ago, yeah, month and a half ago. So, which that's another, to me, that was one thing too, when I found out he was released so all three of them have been released now. These kids it, it are all, you know, I think most of them, I think they're all still alive. I didn't find anything where any of them had died, just the bus driver. But that's got to be a huge trigger to these kids to know that your kidnappers have been released from prison. Yeah, right. Right? So, I don't know. It's just, uh, I thought that was kind of an odd I don't know. I mean, how do you live with that? But, you know, our justice system is not so great in some, in these situations. So, but, um, I mean, there are people that are, you know, that rape people and they don't serve any time at all. So, and there's people who did far trauma less and terror. still in jail. Yes, exactly. Right, right. I also think, so this this kidnapping in 1976, you got to think too, like, kids now, like, you, I'm sure this could happen with kids. I mean, 9-11 for us was, we lived in that history, but that was also 20, 21 years ago right. at this point, you know, right? or almost 21 years ago. So, but most school buses now have video cameras inside the bus in multiple different locations. So you get multiple different angles, but they also have exterior cameras too. So, you know, like when you, a bus is involved in the accident, a lot of times you're able to pull the videos to see what it looked like on the, you know, like it's kind of like a dash cam, but on the outside of the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, so well, that's I something think that they put it. those on there because they were trying to get people that were passing the buses with their red lights on and stuff. So oh, they I'm could sure, yeah, I'm sure of that. But good then also, bad. those are the cameras are good and bad because, yeah, we could catch people doing things. But also, it's got to be hard on like school kids now, high school. There's a camera on you, everything you do. That's got to be hard. yeah. But I don't, I don't for you. It seems hard, but I think for, like, even maybe my generation, it could be hard. But, like, Cassie's generation has grown up with cell phones. Like, Cassie, have you ever not had a cell phone? Like, could you remember? I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe when you were, like, younger. But, you know, like, you got to think, too. Like, I, my first cell phone I had when I was, like, 13 years old. You know, so, like, I've lived more than half of my life with a cell phone my cell phone i've had the same phone number for over 20 years you know kind of thing so that's something too that i think these younger generations you have to look look too they're on social media all the time posting videos about themselves all the time on tiktok i don't think that it phases them 
I think if there weren't cameras around recording every living minute of their life, that would be weird to them. I don't Does know. that make sense? Yeah, but I don't know about that because it is kind of there's a difference between you yourself filming and portray like putting out yeah, what you want to yeah. portray yeah. and then basically not having any privacy, you know? Somebody else like, putting out vis- videos of yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, actually, we were talking about that but situation. But, with, but they but can't. With schools, they can't though, release too, that. They with, don't, yeah, they don't. They can't yeah, release they that They don't legally. release the bus videos. I mean, yeah, and that's, yeah, so there's, like, legal aspects on that, too. So, like, if a bus is involved in the accident, they this if the parents want to see it they're not going to release the video to the parents the parents can go into the school district and request to view the video mm-hmm. but they're not going to be able to like have Take, their own copy yeah. of the video yeah so i mean and if that if it needs to happen that way because there's there's all these minor kids and that's where you know like you're you're violating their their privacy with these minors have who have no say in the matter kind of thing but uh so i mean i don't know i see it in both situations but like for us too our we have cameras throughout our entire house there's not very many places in our house that you can go that are camera free um you know so it's like i mean besides the bathrooms in our house we have a camera at every angle almost so you you know we can see what's going on well all the kids lived and they are i wouldn't say successful today but they... they're not yeah i wouldn't say they're thriving but they're all alive or they're you know i think they're all alive um but the, i mean they yeah all the kids survived the kidnapping they made it home to their parents um but they they've had very severe side yeah yeah traumatic side effects after this um and a lot of them were they dealt with substance abuse and depression and they a lot of them were in prison themselves for um do like doing things that were controlling to other people you know or they were abusers themselves in you know those kind of situations again as a kid a five-year-old, four-year-old, you know, young kid, even a 14-year-old kid dealing with something like that, it changes you, and I'm sure it, like, rewires your brain that you don't understand, right. and you're trying to take control in any way that you can. Um, but, uh, yeah, they all have dealt with several different symptoms and of trauma and since, since the incident happened. Um, and I'm sure, unfortunately, for, mental health resources at that time were not anywhere what they Um, needed to be right there was oh shoot i meant to write it down because i wanted to remember this but there were um um there was something that said that this kidnapping and i can't remember where i saw it this kidnapping though helped um therapists and police force you know like medical people to be able to learn how to treat kids in these types of situations. Yeah, I, knew so, I knew that something yeah. came out of this that they yeah. Like a new so they, they yeah, so they were able to use this um, as kind of like a training tool for right. future kidnapping situations or um, future like abuse situations and how to help these kids or help young kids 
deal with these traumatic events in PTSD um, in the initial, you know, trauma stages and stuff. So the, yeah, the counseling, um, yeah, there's a lot of good that came out in the training aspects of this. So, um, oh, there was, so there's a book though that they, I, I guess I should have mentioned this too. There's a book called the day the children vanished. It's by Q Pentecost. Um, and it was published in an Alfred Hitch Alfred Hitchcock's daring detectives book in 1959. Um, and this book was at the, uh, Chochilla public library and the police believe this is they theorized this is how the kidnappers kind of got the idea because it kind of was like word for word from the book on what happened hmm. their um kidnappers kidnapped um a school bus of kids and how you know wanted a ransom and um so they think that's kind of how they got the idea of what to do um and to get their money for that so that's interesting yeah so trying to think, find where I saw that um, information about the, maybe it's in the after, I'm on the Wikipedia right now because I feel like that's where I saw it. Yes, yeah, it was. So um, it says in here, what was learned from the after effects suffered by the kidnapped children has guided in, in the treatment of young victims of trauma since the kidnapping. So it's been used as a training tool on uh, what to do, which I think is a that is a good thing that kind of yeah. came out of this. Yeah, that's definitely something. Well, already. Um, anything else, guys? No, that was kind of a short and sweet one, but okay. Time to still thought it was definitely pretty interesting. Than... Very interesting. Definitely better than say what's well. better than a bunch of kids dying in a boat. Yeah, because trapped. yeah, exactly because so there's a different scenario because here is the positive in America, aspect of kids refusing to yes, stay where they're supposed to be. Yeah, like, right. Like yeah. let's do something to save ourselves yes, or die trying. Yes, yeah. Or rather than just sitting and waiting for somebody to come help you. Yeah. So there you go. There's a lesson for you. Oh. It's always better to try. <laughs> So, all right guys yeah. um let's wrap this up and please guys uh like share and subscribe give us a uh um email if you have any questions or have any ideas for us on the future shows or comments or anything else but um that wraps it up for today love everybody and um we'll see you next week sound good See you next week. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. Bye.